It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Bernard Meltzer once said, When you forgive, you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Did I really forgive them? Our theme text, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. All right. Did I really forgive them? Coming up in today's podcast, what if I told you that most of us really don't understand what forgiving others means? We're going to talk about how its meaning varies depending on circumstances in about 15 minutes. Have you ever forgiven someone then found yourself needing to do it again and again and again and again? Well, you're not alone. We'll discuss how to handle this in about 30 minutes. And finally, how can forgiving someone else dramatically change us and make our lives happier? Find out in about 45 minutes, but first, let's focus on the challenges of forgiving when we have been hurt. Forgiveness is a tough thing. The times we need to forgive are usually the times we are in no mood to forgive. It can be easy to say, I forgive you. But are those words reflected in my thoughts, my emotions, and my actions? Do I say those words out of mere obligation or just to end an uncomfortable exchange? What does it mean to forgive someone anyway? Does my forgiving someone who wronged me release them from the consequences of that wrong? Is it supposed to make life go on as if no wrong ever happened? Am I still obligated to forgive if the person who wronged me doesn't care about being forgiven? So many questions, so many questions that can only be answered by understanding how the Bible defines forgiveness. So Jonathan, that's what we need to do. We need to set biblical understanding in order. And folks, there is a lot of really important material here. So stay with us as we put this all together. Well, there are four key New Testament words regarding forgiveness. We'll start with the most general description regarding forgiveness and zero in on the most specific meaning. We'll give you the definition, an observation of what it means, and a scripture to verify it. The first word for forgiving means favor. Our observation broadly used in the sense of having a big heart, not taking away sin. Philippians 1, 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So, Jonathan, that scripture, the word given is the word that is sometimes translated to forgive. And the idea of this word is to favor someone. And you don't oftentimes think of forgiving someone as favor, but it really is, because you're, you're putting them into a favorable light again. Next word. The second word for forgive means to free, relieve, release, dismiss, let die, pardon, and divorce. Wow. The, yeah, a lot. The observation is broadly used, but rarely translated forgive. 
Matthew 27, 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? And another text, Luke 6, 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. So the Luke 6.37 scripture, obviously forgive and you shall be forgiven, is this word to free, relieve, release, dismiss, let die, pardon, and divorce. But in the Matthew 27 scripture, it says, whom, shall, whom, uh, whom will ye that I release to you? So the word release is the same word that's sometimes translated forgive. Again, to send away, it, there, there's this sense of sending away, and, and divorce is, is uh, used as a translation of this word as well. And, you know, when you divorce somebody or something, you send responsibility and interaction with that individual or thing away from you. So forgive has definitely different shades of meaning. How about the next one? Well, the third word for forgive means to send forth and away. And our observation, this word is very broadly used, covers godly and human forgiveness. It is this word that most clearly ref reflects our forgiveness of one another and is often used regarding Jesus' forgiving sins. Let's read Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And we're going to get into that more in, in discussion. But as an example, how often should I forgive? How often should I send their sin away from me? That's really a word that's broadly used, but very aptly used for forgiveness. And we're going to really focus on this word as we go through our podcast today. And Jonathan, one more. The fourth word for forgiveness means freedom or pardon. The observation this word is never used in connection with us forgiving one another, only related to the pardon granted through Jesus' sacrifice, which is the big picture of the ransom being paid for all. And our scripture is Ephesians 1, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So this is an important factor. In the last verse that you read, Matthew 18, 21, it says, how often should I forgive my brother? As many as seven times? How often should I send their sin away from me? In English, the Ephesian scripture says, we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sin. Entirely different word, entirely different meaning. It means freedom or pardon. It's bigger. This last word that we're talking about, Jonathan, is the word that represents the highest form of forgiveness in the Bible and is only available from God through the blood of Jesus. In other words, this is not the kind of forgiveness that we're spoken of as having control of in Scripture from God through Jesus. That's it. Let's look at Romans chapter 518 as another building block for this particular word. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So we have one act of righteousness. That is the redemptive work of Jesus' blood. We have pardon shown us in this Romans 5.18 scripture. Through one transgression, through Adam's sin, condemnation was given to all men. Through one act of righteousness, the sacrifice of Jesus, 
What's the result? Results in justification of life to all men. Now, the word for justification here is a very specific word as well. It means acquittal. So when you're acquitted of something, all of what was attached to you with that thing is now completely gone. So the idea is forgiveness or pardon through Jesus brings acquittal, which is there is no longer an attachment to Adamic sin. That's the equation that we look at with this type of, this level of forgiveness. We want to spend a few more minutes on this, Jonathan, because this is important. This is, if we understand this, then we go to the next level of forgiveness, next level down of forgiveness. We're going to begin to understand what we are able to do and what we're not able to do. So let's focus on this pardon thing a little bit more. God, through Jesus, satisfied justice. A life for a life, that's what that last scripture said, which provided true forgiveness, true pardon. Let's ex- go further with that with Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his the custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. So in this verse, when it says, and he's reading from Isaiah, he has sent me to proclaim release. That's this word for pardon. And recovery of the sight to the blind to set free. That's this word for pardon. So Jesus is saying, after he reads this, he said, this scripture is fulfilled today before your very eyes. And then he sits down quietly. He's like, what? And everyone was staring like, what did he just say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's happening here? And the idea is Jesus' first advent, when he came 2,000 years ago, he came as a man and he said, I'm here to release the captives from sin and death, to, to set free those who are oppressed under the rule of Satan. That's what he's talking about here. The release here is not just an opening of a prison door or being released from feeling oppressed. It's a full pardon. It's full freedom. It's an opportunity to go on and live without the previous shackles of sin and death and Satan's dictatorial rule. It changes your life. So the context of Luke 4 is about the calling of Jesus. His calling is a pardon, and his sacrifice brings the acquittal, right? Right, and, and we need to understand that. We need to understand that the pardon for sin comes once you have accepted Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to develop this as we go. And the acquittal is how you live with that pardon. So it's a two-step process. But this kind of forgiveness is beyond our grasp. But it's the basis, it's the basis for how you and I can learn to forgive others. What we do is different because we can't pardon like this, but it, it sets the foundation so we can do and, and act upon the kind of forgiveness that's given us as a responsibility. So Jonathan, as we look to put this in order, finding and applying forgiveness, what do we have? The act of forgiveness takes place on several levels, the highest of which changes the course of the human race and was the pardon for Adam's sin accomplished in its entirety by Jesus' sacrifice. Any forgiveness we can offer needs this pardoned as its foundation. So unless we accept this as our foundation, 
our ability to forgive is going to really be hindered because this is what we are built upon. So forgiveness, by definition, is complex. To learn to genuinely forgive, we need to know exactly what we are doing. Though we cannot actually pardon anyone's sins, can we forgive others like Jesus forgave them? <laughs> it, it sounds remarkable and even uncomfortable to think about forgiving sins like Jesus did. However, there is a similarity in what he did and what we can do. The forgiveness definition we're going to focus on is that of, as we said, sending away, sending someone's sin away from you so that it is no longer relevant to your life. So that's where we want to focus ourselves now that we've set our basic foundation of Jesus pardoning Adam's sin, and therefore we can receive that pardon in our due time. Several times, several times in, in his ministry, Jesus forgives sins, but is not pardoning the sinner. Now, that's interesting. You know, that's mind expanding. Yeah. I, I never thought of it that way. And, and we need to, because that's what the scriptures are teaching us. So let's expand our, our minds as we look at this. Let's look at one example of this. And this is a, a little bit of a lengthy example, but it's important because it covers a lot of aspects. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. Jonathan, let's do 18 and 19 to start. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles, which with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. So think about this scene. Jesus is in a house and he is in this crowd and he's teaching. And because there was so many people, this man who, who, who they were trying to heal, um, there's no way in. So they climb up on the roof with this guy. Imagine the difficulty of climbing on the roof with this guy who is who's a cripple. And they let him down so he can just be, be brought before Jesus. Talk about gutsy. They were on a mission. They were. We're, we're getting our friend yes. in front of Jesus. That's it. <laughs> and here's what happens. Let's start with verse 20. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is the man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up pick up your stretcher, and go home. Well, Rick, uh, from the Pharisees' paradigm, only God could forgive sins through their animal sacrifices, through the Jewish law, right? Yes, and so they're asking a very legitimate question. They're saying, who has the right to do this because they know forgiveness of sins comes through following the law? That's what they're trained to do. So you got to give the Pharisees credit for asking that question here. Uh, now, of course, they're they're not asking it in the best way possible when <laughs> they're saying, no, oh, they're not. Who, who's speaking these blasphemies? You know, instead of saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Explain this to us. So there's not a, there's not a, an inquisitiveness. There's more of a condemnation, but they're still asking a good question. And, and Jesus, his response is that he is the Messiah. He is Lord. 
And he says to them, and very dramatically, oh, look, you know, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk when you never have? Get up and walk. So he performs the miracle, and he's showing them that he has the authority. So he forgives the man's sins. Your sins have been forgiven. And that, he says that, and you know, that's the focus of these verses besides the healing. Jesus often recognized faith and forgave sins. But we've got to ask, okay, so what, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is not looking at this person and seeing one who lived a flawed life. Instead, he's seeing this person, this paralytic, as a son of humanity, mired in the sin and sickness, of inher- of, uh, sin and sickness inherited from Adam. The act of Jesus forgiving him gave him a clearer path to God through Jesus. So Jesus is, is, is putting things in a different perspective. And Jesus sent this man's sins away and saw him with the godly eyes of compassion. Exactly. But when we ask for forgiveness, we're asking God to make his judgments um, based on not what we just did wrong, but to push them away from God's focus. And, and that's the important part about this kind of forgiveness. This kind of forgiveness didn't pardon this individual. It didn't pardon this individual, but it did push the sins aside so he could be more in line with godliness because he had faith in Jesus. So, and, and you're right, Jonathan, for us, even though we've been pardoned by Jesus' sacrifice, remember Ephesians 1, 7 from the previous segment, we also need to have our sins forgiven as well. We've already been pardoned, but it doesn't mean we don't need forgiveness. 1 John 2.12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. So this phrase, your sins have been forgiven you, is the pushing away, the sending away of sins, not the pardoning. This is, so what Jesus did by saying to this, this paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, you have wonderful faith. This is what happens to us. We sin. We go to God through Christ, we ask forgiveness, and our sins are pushed out of the way so that God can see us not through the eyes of the sin, but through the eyes of that repentance that we are showing as we approach uh, through Jesus. This sending away of our sins gives us a clearer path toward God, and it always has to come through Jesus. Jesus sends our sins away and sees us with godly eyes of compassion, just like he saw that paralytic man. And Rick, it's based on our heart intention, and we're so grateful it is. Yeah, and and that's a big deal, the idea that this is based on your heart intention. God is not looking at everything that we do because we're imperfect, but if, if our intention is there and we fall down versus we don't have the intention and we stand up, God will take the intention in falling down because that's what the, the true heart is about. That's what our forgiveness is about. And, and we have to understand that's how God looks at us, and that's how we want to learn to look at others when they've wronged us. And we're going to develop that as we go. So, Jonathan, let's go and, 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 again, finding and applying forgiveness, what do we have? Any act of forgiveness we hope to accomplish is modeled after Jesus is forgiving the people of Israel as he preached, as well as our being forgiven even now. So what we are learning to do by forgiving others, Jesus is our model. That's the model. Your sins are forgiven you. Sent away so that their relationship can have a a path to restoration. Remember, there's two parts of this. The pardon. 
the pardon that we receive through Jesus' sacrifice is related to our inherited sin in Adam. That's what the pardon is, pardon, sin in Adam. This was something we were born with and therefore would die from until Jesus himself died and gave us a new lease on life. And the second part, Rick, the forgiving, the sending away of sins by Jesus gives us a clearer path to God. Our sins are forgiven equals God is seeing us not through the lens of what we have done, but the lens of what our faith in Jesus has opened for us. And we need to strive to stay there. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a great thing to have the door open, but you want to stay on that path that goes through that open door because I can guarantee you that you're going to need to ask for forgiveness again. Just That's just the, the, the work of human nature. It just always falls short. So we've got the pardon, that big picture, and the forgiveness of sins, the sending away of what we do in the meantime, a smaller but very important part of this. So once we understand, once we understand the pardon and the act of forgiving someone's sins, we can now dig into how we actually accomplish all of this. Oh, good. Finally. Yeah. What about me? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you're right. It's, it's taken us a while to get here because there's so much to forgiveness that we need to understand first. We need to know what the foundation is. We need to see Jesus' example in, in, in action. And now let's look at ourselves. So let's start with a need to know, a forgiveness need to know. As Christians, we are called to be forgiving. You know, Rick, that, that sounds like a job description. Yes, it is. It's not a job option. It's not a when you get around to it. It is a job description. We know this because in Matthew 6, 9 to 15, it, it's very, very plain. And of course, you'll recognize many of these verses as part of the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That, those are some powerful words there at the end. And, you know, we always stop at the end of the Lord's Prayer, but we need to read those next verses because it says, if you don't forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This word is not the word for pardon because Jesus pardon, pardons us whether we like it or not, and that goes for the whole world, just not applied to them yet. But this is for sending the sins away. If we are not going to be sending the sins away that are, 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 are perpetrated upon us by our brother or sister or friend or neighbor or whomever, then God may not be sending our sins away from him. So, Jonathan, you were right. It's a job description. It's something that's really important. When it says in, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, that which we owe, it's not talking about money, but it's talking about our sins and transgressions committed that take us out of balance with God. This forgiveness is applied to us as we apply it to others. Folks, don't forget that piece. The forgiveness is applied to us. The sending away of our sins is applied to us as we apply sending away others' sins from us. Our forgiving attitude towards others will influence God's forgiveness towards us. Do not minimize this point. And not only do we strive to be forgiving, 
we are required to be forgiving. Job description. Not, this is not an elective course you can take in college, okay? <laughs> this is a requirement. This is something we have to focus on. So we want to truly focus in on this for the rest of this podcast so we understand what do I have to do to fulfill the responsibility of being a forgiving person, a truly forgiving person. So Jonathan, what do we have so far finding and applying forgiveness? Any act of forgiveness we hope to accomplish requires us to strive to not see the recipient through the lens of what they did to us. Rather, we must choose the lens that sees them as the human being they are. This choice can change the course of our lives. Hey, uh, check out our CQ Kids two-minute animated video called Why Should We Forgive Others at ChristianQuestions.com YouTube. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very, very light way to remind us, whether you're an adult or a child, this is, this is a good tool to remind us of the importance of what Jesus is telling us to do. We must be forgiving. We need to do this. And that requires us seeing someone else through a lens of compassion and not the lens of their sin not the lens of the hurt that they put upon us. So there's a lot, of, a lot of work to do, but a lot of groundwork is now beginning to be set. Jesus has made it perfectly clear that our forgiving others has everything to do with our highest welfare. Knowing what to do is good, but it's only a start. How do we begin to do what we know to be right? Making forgiveness work is tricky. Usually we need to forgive when we feel emotional pain after being wronged. This is not easy to conquer this pain. Learning the forgiveness lesson requires focus and an open mind. But applying this forgiveness lesson requires humility, determination, and discipline. We need to not just learn it intellectually and, and, and have it settle into our hearts. We need it to settle into our life settle into our actions. Quote Jonathan from uh, Hannah Arnett. Forgiveness is the key to action and freedom. It's the key to action. Without a forgiving attitude, we end up living a lot of our lives in a paralyzed state. And think about it. Think about things that have happened to you in your life and look back and see when you had that, that paralyzed viewpoint, and oftentimes it's because we're stuck in that non-forgiveness, in that anger, in that frustration, in that pain, in that trauma. And look, Jonathan, a lot of experiences we have in life, they're hard to forgive. They are. Because the pain can just ripple on forever. I mean, it could change your life. And how do I forgive somebody for that? Focus in on this. Stay, stay with us on this. this. Is This is really, really important. Getting the forgiveness job done. We really want to get to that at this point. First, we realize that forgiveness will likely require repetitive refocusing. We're going to have to refocus ourselves again and again and again. The scriptures tell us this. Matthew 18, 21 to 24. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, 
one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Well, Rick, I hope we're not counting. If so, <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting. Again, this is one of those accounts that we often read part but don't finish. We read the part about, you know, Jesus says, I do not say to you, forgive him seven times, but 70 times seven. And we stop there and we say, wow, that's a big lesson. But then Jesus speaks a parable to drive the lesson home. And in the parable, this individual who owed 10,000 talents owes an impossible amount to pay back. It's impossible, and yet the master is willing to forgive him. And the lesson is, not only should there be multiple workings of forgiveness, but even in big things, Jesus is telling us we have to have a forgiving attitude. This is hard. There's... That's why when when we started the podcast, we talked about, you know, sometimes we do it to, you know, cover the base. Check, yes, I said I forgive you. Check, yeah, I'm going to talk to them again. But in our heart, we're still bearing the pain, bearing the toil, bearing the turmoil, bearing the trauma, bearing the memory. We need to work on that. It's not going to go away immediately, but we need to work on it. Jesus is telling us in these verses that forgiveness is a commitment of magnitude and patience. And those are big things, magnitude and patience. Jonathan, let's go to a real-life struggle. And this was shared by a CQ contributor. We, we, we asked the question about, hey, what, what kind of experiences have you had with forgiveness, be they good or, or, or bad? Just, so one of our contributors wrote this in, and we, we just wanted to let you listen to it in a few pieces. And, just, and this is a, an experience that I think a lot of us can relate to. It has to do with, with alcoholism in a parent. My dad's alcoholism completely drove all of his actions and he was unable to be better or different. I intellectually understood that, but I didn't really feel that in my heart until years after he died. I just couldn't understand why he couldn't just choose me and choose life and I was so angry and sad because of that. So many of us have had experience with with alcoholism or addiction or whatever it is and you're you're in a real conundrum because Somebody gets taken by these things. Now, maybe they did things to, to get involved in that, but they're in this place and they are not themselves. And in this case, um, her father died in, 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 that, in that difficulty and she was left holding an empty bag. She, and and, and it's, it just means a lot. She, I just couldn't understand why he couldn't just choose me and life. And it made her angry, and it made her sad. And there is, are the seeds of non-forgiveness planted, and justifiably so. It's like, what, I don't mean anything to you. You're my father. So you have a big problem here. Sometimes we want to be mad because we're so, we were so badly treated, and this is a really good example of that. And it's okay to be angry. Yeah. You know, and we need to understand that. It is okay to be angry. We have to let the anger work through us but we don't want to camp out in the anger for our, the rest of our days. Let the anger run its course and then move on. How do you do that? Another comment from another CQ contributor about dealing with um, difficult circumstances of forgiveness. She said, you have to keep forgiving the impact, the ripples that will continue after the offense. 
And in a lot of the cases where we have a hard time forgiving, it's because the ripples of that may last the rest of our lives. Whatever happened may have changed our lives entirely without our permission, without our knowledge, without, without our understanding, and here we are with a different life. That's hard. There's no question about how hard this is. This is why we look at this repetitive refocusing, because as a Christian, we're called to be forgiving. It's a job description. So how do you do that when it's this difficult? Well, we talked about repetitive refocusing as a first point. Second, we need to realize that forgiveness will likely require repetitive restraint. We have to refocus, and then we have to repetitively restrain ourselves. Sometimes we just want to get back at those who hurt us. We want to lash out. We want to say something. We want to harbor the grudge because somehow it makes us feel better to harbor that. But Jesus is saying, learn to forgive. Let's look at Romans 12, 17 to 19. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Hey, Rick, let's say you hurt me. Uh, Your actions toward me that were hurtful are no longer in the front of my mind. Those actions toward me, I'm going to push away and see you, not through the eyes of how I was hurt, but through the eyes of being a ransomed child of God. You know, (laughs) that's... Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I thank you. In that example, I hurt you, and, and you're willing to do that for me. And that's hard to do. But folks, we really do need to let it go. And the idea of forgiveness, when we are forgiving someone for something they've done to us, is it really is working on our own heart so we can let the, the consequences of that sin that have been, has been perpetrated upon us, we can actually let it go. When we ask for forgiveness, we're asking God to not make his judgments based on what we just did, but to push them away from God's focus. We are. We're, 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 we're trying to, we're, we have to reorganize, we have to reset our thinking. So the, the, we have to ask ourselves the question, when do we look for repentance or when do we just forgive? Okay, that's an important aspect of this thing. Oh, is it always, do you always have to wait for repentance? You know, what's the difference? We're going to give some general guidelines that come from Scripture, and that comes with our third point. The first point was repetitive refocusing in dealing with forgiveness. The second is repetitive restraint. Vengeance belongs to God, not to me. The third point is realize that forgiveness will likely require repetitive acquiescence to the teachings of Jesus. What are the teachings of Jesus? Well, let's open that up right now. First Scripture we're going to look at is a text that shows the part that repentance should play. Now, we've got much more on repentance in the bonus material in the show notes, so you want to take a look at that because it, it unfolds repentance in a detailed way. We don't have time today for that. But let, Jonathan, let's go to Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. So this is a warning. Jesus is saying, be on your guard. And he's saying, be on your guard against yourself, not against your brother. And he warns us. He says, watch yourself, because if your brother sins, you should tell him. You should rebuke him. You should have the courage to to face off with your brother. But then 
he says, you know, he, he, he repents and then you, you forgive him. And you, then you're going to go on your merry way, but be aware, be on your guard. Because if he sins against you again and he repents, you need to forgive him. And if he doesn't, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. And the other important point here is rebuke him. Um, there's communication. We must have communication to solve the issues. Exactly. And again, that's where it gets difficult because many times in our lives, even as Christian to Christian, our lives, we, when, when, when we've been wronged, we tend to not communicate. We tend to back off. We tend to hide. We tend to brood. We tend to do all of those things. And Jesus is telling us, don't go there. You need to be forgiving. And again, forgiving isn't pardoning them. It's not releasing them from the consequences of what they did, but it's releasing me from holding the consequences upon me in the forefront of my eyes and my mind so I can't see anymore. So there's a, a text that really talks about repentance is important. On the other side of the issue, well, let's go to a scripture that says, well, we should love unconditionally. This is Luke 6, 27 to 31. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also, and from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And Jonathan, this sounds like just pure forgiveness and not worrying about repentance. So we've got one where, okay, repent, forgive, repent, forgive, <laughs> repent, forgive. And this is, hey, be loving and kind to everyone. What's the difference between these two? Well, in the first text, it's regarding your brother. Right. In the second text, the one we just read, is regarding your enemies, those of the world. There's a big difference between those two. What else? In the first text, it shows communication. And you brought that up before, how important that is. In the second text, it shows persecution. Okay, very different environment here. And the first text specifically says to forgive. And the second text says to love, bless, and be humble. Why is there a difference? Because there is a higher expectation amongst the brotherhood rather than with the world. But the key is we have to be forgiving in all cases. Well, Rick, what if someone does, doesn't want your forgiveness because they don't think they did anything wrong? <laughs> Must you make this difficult? <laughs> and that's an important question because what if that happens? What if, no, I didn't do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, I do it again because you deserved it. Should we still have such a forgiving attitude in that case? And the answer is yes. Yes. And because here's the thing, Jonathan, forgiveness is not reconciliation. I think a lot of times we think it's supposed to be. And once we say, I forgive you, everything's supposed to be fine and hunky-dory and everybody's going to be go skipping down the sidewalk together. No, that's generally not the way life works. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. The forgiving of someone in the world Okay, someone who's not a Christian, somebody in the world, is likely not going to easily or expectedly bring trust and reconciliation pouring in. But we should still forgive them because Jesus told us that's the way we need to be. Um, with our brother or with our sister, we ought to seek reconciliation because we have a trust basis already established in Christ. And we should be able to communicate better with them. And I say should because sometimes that's not easy. But no, that, that, that's the ideal. So again, remember, pardoning, 
the, the pardon is not what we're talking about here when we forgive one another. Pardoning is, is, is freeing, and acquittal is applying the freedom uh, of the real world or in the real world from Jesus. We're not talking about that. We're talking about pushing the effects of someone's sin away from us. This is the important aspect of this. This is what we focus on with everybody in one way or another. Let's go back to the sound bites about our CQ contributor and her experience from earlier in her life. Time has really softened my heart for him, and I also recognize that towards the end of his life, I was very unkind, and I have felt a lot of shame for that. So I've had to ask God's forgiveness for my actions. Again, I know I was young, but I should have known better. She says something there, Jonathan, that is really, really important. We want to take a couple of minutes on. She says, you know, I was young, but I should have known better. And I can certainly understand the idea that, yeah, I should have known better. Here's the thing. Should have. Those words, I should have, you should have, those words we need to be very careful with. And I say, let's apply it once and then be done. I should have known better, but I didn't. Or I didn't follow what I knew. And now you have the reality of the past and you can't change it. So we have to take the should have out of the equation once we recognize it. Yeah, okay, that was a mistake. But then that's part of the mistake. Let it be and let the forgiveness take root. Well, Rick, what about him, her father? He should have known better. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Hmm. How do we know what brought him to that condition? Right. We can't judge the heart or his life experience, can we? No, and, and that's the thing. What kinds of difficulties do people have when they get themselves into these kinds of circumstances? Some people walk boldly into those circumstances. Others do it to hide from the pain of their life. And I've known both kinds. And, you know, it's tragic no matter what it is. But when we say, I should have known, what we're saying is, I should have been better. Oh, maybe you should have, but you weren't. It's okay, because that's what forgiveness is for. We need to be able to forgive ourselves and forgive others on the same basis. Okay, should have? Great. It's easy to observe someone's sins against us or our frustration over our own poor response to those sins through the eyes of those words, should have. Let's think about this. Jesus did not see sin through the eyes of should have. Rather, he saw it through the eyes of compassion and was therefore in a position to fix it, to forgive it, to send the sin away. Let's go to 1 Peter 2, 21 to 24. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Okay, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. So we're going to focus on this example and listen carefully to the next part of the scripture, because we're going to relate all of this to forgiveness. Here's his example. Here are the steps that we need to follow. Who committed no sin, nor was in any way deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So there was no kickback, no, no rebuttal, no coming back at, no revenge, none of that from Jesus. And everything done to him, everything was unjust. Every single thing. And yet he relied on, on the righteous judge. And let's finish verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. 
Think about this. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This means we need to rise above sin because we're supposed to be dead to it. And lack of forgiveness is sinful. We need to do our very best. Now look, we're not going to do it perfectly, and it's not going to go well the first time, or the second, or third, or fourth, or fifth, or sixth, or 22nd, maybe. Doesn't mean we don't put our heart and soul and effort into it, okay? So what was Jesus' example here? Well, to love without thought of it being returned. He did. He loved, and it didn't matter that it wasn't returned. To give without reciprocation. So he gave. It didn't matter what came back. He just gave. To suffer without retaliation. And that's a hard one. That's a very hard one. To rely entirely on the righteous judge. Vengeance is God's. Period. End of statement. Let's leave it there. Jonathan, finding and applying forgiveness, what do we have? Any act of forgiveness we hope to accomplish must be driven by the realization that it will likely take repetitive, focused effort. Let's focus and act on what is Christ-like and not fall into the traps of natural emotional reactions. It's easy to react emotionally. That's just natural, but that's a trap if we're a Christian. We want to learn to rise above it. We need to, we need to pay close attention to the many details of forgiveness. Clearly forgiving is a very intentional act. How can I make my forgiveness of another a reality for life that can be counted on by everyone? <laughs> counted on by everyone. Christian forgiveness is not a reaction that has an emotional basis. It's a response that is, a deci- is decision-based. To be at the maturity level required to make such a choice, we first need to be sure of our motivation in this forgiveness. Do I really want this person's sin against me to lose its influence in my daily choices and in my daily life? To genuinely let it go. Genuinely. That's hard. Doesn't happen often on the first try. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And when we fall down, we need to get up and try again. Quote from Indira Gandhi. Forgiveness is a virtue of the brave. And in this segment, we're going to really be focusing on the, 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 the courage that it takes to forgive. Forgiving in a, manner, in a Christian manner begins with living in a Christian manner. I mean, let's, let's just get down to brass tacks. We've got to live in a Christian manner. Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Live in a Christian manner. Jesus left it all. He didn't look for reciprocation. He didn't retaliate against evil. He just went about his Father's will. Remember to forgive is to make someone sin against us lose its relevance in our life. The event still happened, and the results of the event are still intact, but its relevance has been diminished. So, Rick, when I say I forgive you, maybe what you did to me echoes in my life, so my forgiving you is going to diminish it. And as time goes on, it will diminish it further and further. As the the reactions come up, and I put it in its place, well, that's the hope anyway. And, 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 and Jonathan, that's the hope, that's the goal, that's, that's where we're striving for. And look, folks, you may never get completely to that point, but your striving to get to that point is what really counts. So keep working towards it. And if you keep falling down, you keep asking the Lord for strength and going again and again and again. Let's wrap up our CQ contributor's uh, personal experience. And she's got some very profound, profound words here. Forgiveness is something you have to work at. 
If you don't, those same feelings of anger and sadness just sit there waiting for you until you think about that person again. It is an active process of letting go of the feelings and the experiences that have impacted you and realizing that we are all imperfect. Some of us are just flawed in ways that really hurts others. There's a, an old saying, time heals all wounds. Well, there's something to be said for not just the passage of time, but the passage of time while engaged in the act of being forgiving. Hmm. It helps it to grow into a solid foundation. Yeah, time doesn't heal all wounds by itself. Time can make you forget things, but it doesn't heal them. Time coupled with our focus to be Christ-like and to do the right thing and to, be, to learn to push the sin away. That is what heals the wounds. Learning, even if we don't get it right after, and we can keep trying and trying, it's still okay. And, you know, Jonathan, it's so amazing that God looks at us and, 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 and takes the heart for the deed because we'd be doomed if he didn't. <laughs> We're so thankful he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so how do we do this? Well, let's, let, we've got to do some refocusing. How do I see those of the world, be they family, friends, or just people, whom I might need to forgive? How do I see them? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, and once we get this scripture on the table, it's got the pieces in it to show us what to do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God was making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We might become the righteousness of God. How do you do that? So let's look at this scripture now, Jonathan. We're going to take it apart and look at it through the eyes of forgiveness principles to manage our non-Christian relationships when forgiveness is appropriate. When we need to be forgiving, there are principles in this verse that really lay it out for us. What's the first one? I am in Christ. I have been called higher and called to follow Jesus. Right. It's a basic principle. I have been called to a higher level of living than the average human being is called to. I therefore have a responsibility, and that call is to follow in Jesus' footsteps. What's next? My experiences are in God's providence, and he reconciled me to him. God reconciled. Remember, forgiveness is not reconciliation, but reconciliation becomes as a result of forgiveness. So God has reconciled to us, to him. That means there's a lot of forgiveness that has been put forth on our behalf. Our experiences are in the hands of God and God's providence. So if we're having a hard time, it's okay. God knows. He can work with that if we're looking for him to direct it. What's next? God's plan includes forgiving and reconciling the world to him through Jesus. His plan not only includes forgiving and reconciling the world to him through Jesus, it's built on forgiving and reconciling the world to him through Jesus. That's why Jesus came as that, as that pardon for the acquittal that comes, the ransom for all. What else? 
I am an ambassador of that forgiveness and reconciliation. It's my job. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes to a foreign country and represents the government from his own country. If we are ambassadors for Christ, it's our job to be living representations of him. And that means we are living representations of forgiveness and reconciliation. What else? All of this is only possible through Jesus. <laughs> and we better stress that again and again and again. Because <laughs> left to ourselves, we fail. But this ambassadorship, this reconciliation, this forgiveness, this is what we ever stand for. What's the conclusion? Therefore, who am I to not forgive from my heart? Keep doing the work. That's right. Keep doing the work. Forgive from the heart, from the heart. And sometimes our forgiveness doesn't start in our heart, but it doesn't mean it can't end there. We need to work it down into our system by learning and growing and maturing. So, you know, this refocusing in relation to friends, family, whomever out there, we have ample scriptural reason to stand up and be forgiving. What about refocusing on how do I see those of the brotherhood whom I might, might need to forgive. How do I see them? Is it different? Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of one mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. There's a lot in this verse, in these verses, that help us to focus in on the humble reckoning that we need to do when we are face-to-face with our brother or sister, and there's a forgiveness issue that needs to be in place. With God's people, it may be more challenging to avoid the should-have approach, because it's really easy to say, well, you're in Christ, Jonathan, you should have known better. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to do that. It is easy. But we don't have the right to do that. We can have the discussion, we can express the disappointment, and then we need to forgive, and, and, and we need to be able to move on from there. Jonathan, good example with Jesus and, and Peter. What is it? Well, did Jesus second-guess Peter after his three denials? No. He gave him and had confidence in his dedication and proved it by charging him with feeding the flock. Okay. He forgave him after the three denies. Think about it. Jesus didn't say to Peter, look, you should have known better. I (laughs) told you you were going to do this, and you still did it. He didn't go down that road. Instead, he said, I trust you. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Be the one that I can count on. He knew he could. He could see past it. He forgave him. He pushed the sin away and saw his potential instead. What an incredible example. Another example, Jonathan. Well, uh, did Jesus avoid Saul of Tarsus because he uh, mercilessly persecuted Christians? No, he forgave him and had confidence in his dedication and called him to be the 12th apostle, the foundation of Christianity. So Saul of Tarsus is an enemy of Christianity. And on the road to do an enemy's work, Jesus stops him dead in his tracks and confronts him and converts him, and he doesn't look at at Saul of Tarsus and say, you should have known better. 
you of all people, you knew the law. You knew you were breaking the Jewish law and all these things you did. You knew. He didn't go down that road because he saw his potential and he forgave him. He put his sins aside so he could touch his heart so, he, so that Saul could become Paul the apostle and do the work of Christ. Tremendous examples to show us what forgiving really looks like. Forgiveness principles to manage our Christian relationships when forgiveness is appropriate. So now, this is focusing on our Christian relationships, and we're going back to that scripture we read just a few minutes ago in Philippians 2, 2 to 4. So what are these principles, Jonathan? What's the first one? Leave should have alone. That's what Jesus did. And we need to learn to do that. That's hard, but we need to learn to do it because that's what Jesus did. What else? Focus and contribute to the unity of the Spirit. For we all have one purpose. If your brother or your sister sins against you and it's, and it's frustrating and it hurts you, just remember their ultimate purpose is to serve God through Christ like you. Focus on that. We choose. We can choose what we focus on. And that will help us to determine whether we decide to forgive or not. What's next? Remember that a lack of forgiving can be a form of conceit. Mm-hmm. I choose my anger over godly response. This is a big deal. A lack of forgiving can be a form of conceit because it's our job to be forgiving. So if we are choosing our anger over having godly responses, aren't we saying, yeah, you know, God through Jesus said I should forgive, but I'm not going to this time because. That's a little conceited, isn't it? It is. And, and, you know, sometimes, Jonathan, with some of the hardest sins, we end up going there and we want to hold on to it because we were so hurt. Think about Jesus when you go there. You know, this, this, and this can also apply. This conceit can, conceit can apply to us not forgiving ourselves. We have That's to be a good careful. Point. We have to have the same compassion in forgiving ourselves. Why? Because God forgives us. And who am I to not forgive me if he does? Who am I? Come on, really. What's the next point? Always dwell on the value of those whom God has blessed. Dwell on. We can choose what we do, our minds dwell on. And it's so easy to go down the default road of dwelling on the hurt and the pain and the trauma and the sorrow and the anger and the frustration and whatever else, but dwell on the value of those individuals whom God has blessed, even if they've done us wrong. And finally, forgiveness is a gift that when it is given by me also gives me a gift. Remember, it's sending their sin, the, the results of their sin away from me. It's putting it so that I can live without the results of that sin. This is powerful stuff in how to actually live a forgiving life. Final point, Jonathan, finding and applying forgiveness. Any act of forgiveness we hope to accomplish must be clearly defined goal that is driven by intellectual and spiritual clarity as well as a heart assurance. Our forgiving is an action that accomplishes God's will in us. And Rick, um, one other point I wanted to share. Um, the beauty of our forgiving is about me. <laughs> it's about being able to stand before God with a clear heart and a clear conscience. Because we can stand before the Lord. And look, even if we didn't fully accomplish it, but we kept trying and trying and say, Lord, I gave it my best. And, and his response to that is, I know. And that's what I was looking for. He doesn't read our results so much as he reads our heart. And thank God for that. Final scripture, Jonathan, Romans 12, 9 to 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. 
Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So it's about love. The whole thing is about love, whether it is love for our enemies, love for people in the world, love for our business associates, love for our family, or love for the brotherhood. Forgiving, living a forgiving life is about applying the love that has been applied to us first. Forgiveness is an expression of love. Inevitably, by forgiving, we show our love for one another, for the one we are forgiving. We are showing our love for ourselves, we are showing love for our Lord Jesus, and we are showing our love for our Heavenly Father. Bottom line here is really simple. Forgive and mean it. Forgive and mean it. Folks, this is a hard lesson because, again, forgiveness is necessary, especially when we don't want it because we've been so hurt. And sometimes when somebody doesn't want our forgiveness, it doesn't mean we shouldn't offer it and we shouldn't push their sins away from us. Why? That's what Jesus did. That's what he taught us to do so that we could learn what the ministry of reconciliation is all about. You can't be a reconciler unless you know about forgiving. And you can't know about forgiving unless you live it in your life. And even if you fall down, get up and keep trying. You've got God's hand in it and his providence for you. Live, forgive, and mean it. Think about it. Folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on, Christian, on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channels, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, High Art Radio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, next week, are Christians supposed to convert the world? Is that our job? Are we supposed to convert the world? Well, we'll talk about that next week. 